Welcome to MotivationAddict.com with Julie Salon. This is where you will find inspiring stories on how to motivate yourself and gain momentum towards success, turning fear into confidence, and how to find divine flow, allowing you to crush your goals. Thank you for being here. And now, let's tune in to today's show. Welcome, everyone, to Motivation Addict. Today, I have an amazing guest for you. Her name is Jillian Sutherland. And during her writing career, she achieved enormous success. She's been a World Cup finalist and qualified and competed in the Pan Am Games. Jillian was consistently shortlisted and a carded writer for Equine Canada for many years. And she repeatedly represented Canada internationally. So she spent many years as a judge and unique to dressage coaching. Her approach is always about the well-being of the horse and encouraging and guiding her students to be independent riders with the mindset of a trainer. This is what made her clients very successful. In this episode, we discuss how she became a Grand Prix rider from a non-horsey family, which I can relate to, how she creates boundaries around doing what she loves, and how she flourished after a career and injury where she cannot ride horses any longer, but still gets to work with them. I hope you guys love this episode as much as I did, as always. Please like and subscribe. And if you have any questions, reach out to me for coaching and help. My address is www.motivation-addict.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Julie Salant from Motivation Addict. I am thrilled today. I have an amazing guest on for you. You're going to love her. Her name is Jillian Sutherland. She has been a competitive rider. She is also a business owner. I'm going to let her give you a little bit of information about her background. Welcome, Jillian, to the show. I'm so thankful that you could be here. Oh, listen, I'm so grateful to be here, Julie, and uh, share kind of parts of my life with you guys. And uh, See where we go. Yes. So let's give, I, I, re, I read the bio and I've been on your profile and can you give the listeners a little bit of background as, as to what you've done in terms of your writing career? Uh, sure. You know what? I was uh, a Toronto girl and living out West in Canada now, but I grew up with a complete crazy passion for horses and a dream probably from the time I was four years old on and uh, I just followed it. And I certainly didn't come from a horsey family. I came from kind of a middle-class Toronto non-horsey parents that kind of thought I was a bit crazy, I think, at the time. But uh, I kept pushing. And, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, and it's, it's uh, I think the best thing is not worrying about the how, right? I think when we're younger, we, we just kind of keep going towards those goals and those dreams. And that's the important part. I didn't worry about how I was going to get the good horses or how I was going to get the money to do it. I just, I just kept going, you know, and sure it was hard. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm pretty proud of, you know, how hard I worked to get there. So, uh, you know, I got really lucky through my riding career. I started, um, you know, typical riding school and then leasing horses and then I got some horses to compete on. And eventually, after quite a long time, I got uh, a sponsor, which was fantastic. I had for 10 years. And that's, oh, nice. I got to do all my fancy international stuff and train in Europe and, you know, compete, you know, all around. And uh, so kind of my dreams all kind of came true. So you had quite the successful career. So you've been riding for over 20 plus years? 
oh, at least. I mean, I started riding at 13. Okay. And I've been riding till up until the last seven years. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and let's talk a little bit about your business and what you're doing now and how that's going to impact the community as well. Because I just want them to get a full picture of what you're doing today. Well, you know, I started, I, I certainly started riding and competing early on, and I started coaching when I was 19, uh, which I loved and also helped, you know, pay for some riding stuff and kept doing that. And then, uh, so I've always had a big coaching business. I've traveled, done a lot of clinics most of my life across uh, the country. Uh, and so that still continues, which I love. Um, but I also started a small reno company a few years ago because I love design and I love being creative and then I actually just got my uh, real estate license a couple months ago something else awesome. I to do and I you know kind of thought okay I have a little bit more time now I'm gonna pursue that wow you're a busy lady <laughs> yeah, I love it it's good yeah like I love lots of balls juggling around in the air so I'm the same way. I get bored really quickly. So I have to have a couple different things going on so that I'm never, you know, if I sit there for too long, then it's like, uh Oh, you know, trouble starts. So I completely get that. And I completely understand. Um, I grew up the same exact way. So, you know, middle-class, I was the only one in my family that was horse crazy. I, I have a question. I, I ask everyone this question. I have a theory that this is obviously something that you're born with this passion right, for horses. Um, do you think that a lot of empathic and sensitive women go move towards horses because they're so healing, even if it's on an unconscious level? Absolutely. I'm definitely an empath, for sure. And uh, I mean, I have dogs, I have horses, I've always had an attachment to pretty much every animal. So I totally agree with that. And as an empath, I mean, how has that helped you and given you an edge in your training of other riders? Do you know, I think for me, I, I do have a really good knack at figuring out what people need. I mean, everybody needs to be taught for me in a different way or a different style. Um, you know, I have riders that are um, a little timid and the ones that are too aggressive and ones that, you know, are carrying around all their emotional stuff from their family. Uh, I can pretty much tell when people walk into the arena, how our day's going to go, right? <laughs> Back and, and, and into the right path for the day. So sometimes we need to have a chat about what happened last night and sometimes we just need to get them working, right? So Yes, yes. And it's so incredible how that impacts the horses as well, right? Because they will mirror back whatever you're projecting out. So we carry all that junk with us. And sometimes I always would forget to breathe. Have you had any clients that forget to breathe? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, yeah, go ahead. Then the horse goes, <sighs> and then that's a calming signal. Or my trainer would say, just breathe, breathe, because it will slow you physically down. Yes. So. They say 10 deep breaths can change your brain chemistry, right? Get you to relax. Is that right? I didn't know that. So they, like, usually when they say deep breathe, we go two or three times and then we're done and we go back to being nervous, right? But if you yes. take some time and do 10 deep ones properly, it really can make a difference. I mean, I think for me, I, my clients would agree. I say all day long, okay, 
loose seat, relax your knees. And it's, it's shocking. I'm going to take some videos of clients that are clamping on with their knees. And as soon as they relax, you can just see the whole horse just let go. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're tense. It's unconscious and you're tensing up on your reins and you're tensing up in your knees and your back and everything. And then if the horse is like this, like, okay, I'm ready. And you're, you're not even realizing that you're doing that and communicating that. Well, so it's just, that and, yeah, people don't realize, right? And I will, I mean, I certainly fell into that trap too earlier on when people would say, oh, you're tight. No, I'm not. I'm totally not. I'm totally not. <laughs> and I have all said it after, you know, three months of, then they come back and they go, oh, you are right. I was tight because then they're at a newer level of understanding and feeling, right? Yeah. Really cool for me. Yes, yes. You've been a competitive rider for quite a long time. Tell me about the the highlight of your career. What would you consider the best experience and highlight you've ever had? You know, I had a really great competitive career. I had, uh, I think for me, the highlight for my career was riding at the World Cup final, the Canadian World Cup final at the Royal Winter Fair. And, uh, you know, there's thousands of people in the stands and it's so electric and you work so hard to get there. But the moment for me, you know, it's over and I go to leave the ring and my daughter at the time is five. And I look through this sea of, of people and there's a, there's a sign way to go, mom. Up in the wow. So like one of those moments for me and actually the photographer uh, I have a photographer that caught that moment it's one of my favorite pictures because it's just so relaxed and joyful and happy but it's it's about the balance right I've I've accomplished what I wanted to do in that moment but I was surrounded by people that love and support me at the same time yes yeah so you've got the the family and the the work ethic and all of the emotions and time that you've put into it and then that just kind of pulls it all together in a perfect package i would think it'd be amazing it's one of those moments because especially with horses and especially in sport right there's so so many times that it doesn't quite work right and we do have to have luck on our sides not just the training and not just the great horses and not just all those pieces but the luck has to be there too what advice would you give to any of the listeners that started out like we both started out in a non-horsey family i was the only one you were probably the only one as you mentioned and that can be difficult because not only is it expensive but they don't really understand why you're so passionate about it because maybe no one from their family, you know, even, you know, their parents or grandparents have ever experienced this. Do you have any advice that you could give those that are kind of in, in it and struggling a little bit as to how they can, you know, keep pushing on? You know, I think you just have to keep pushing and you just have to keep showing up. And I've had clients at all different levels um, of, of, um, riding level and certainly financial background and you know doors open and chances happen but you have to be there and you have to be in front of people and I've seen it certainly happened to me a number of times where people just said hey I've got a horse you want to ride it 
And it doesn't have to be your Grand Prix horse, but at least it's another horse to get on and get some more experience on. And the more experience you get, the better. I mean, I grew up, like I said, riding anything and everything I could ride, good, bad, ugly, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but I think it the better rider, right? Because I had to figure out how to make the best of those horses. And that's my coaching now too is, you know, I'm going to work with whatever we have, you know, in 30 years, I think I've only told two clients, I think we need to sell this horse because I didn't think it was safe for them. But the rest of the time, I mean, we do because we love our animals, right? And I, I want people to have fun. I mean, my, I'm, my riders work hard, but we have fun. I mean, I want them to leave the arena like, whoa, <laughs> but with a smile on their face. I don't think, I don't think yelling and screaming at riders helps. Um, I think, you know, if, if they're not understanding it, then I'm not doing my job right. I need to figure out how to do it better. You're definitely empathic, <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> Because the, the, those of us that are sensitive don't respond to um, yelling and screaming. I respond more to support. And I kind of feel like I've raised my hand for your help. Obviously, I need some help. So it's support. Even if it's just eyes on the ground, there's something about having someone there that makes me feel safer, uh, kind of like a safety net, if you will, even if it's just in the mind. I was, you know, uh, teaching on the weekend and one of my clients had been to a show and I usually with my are with my clients at a show but I'm hearing your voice as I'm going down, right so that tells me that that's helping to uh, you know provide a better competitive moment for them where they are not just going blank in a show ring you know I think a lot of coaches too tend to just um, the riders feel like they can't ride without a coach there too. You know, I want to create my job. I feel is to create riders that become trainers. Right? Mm. Not just, right? Wow. I love that. Manage on their own. Right. And then they, they know what to do on and off the horse. It's really important to me. So you just brought up something really important and no matter how often you train the first time or even several times when you get in the ring, you just get blank. Because there's so much going on, there's so many horses, there's just so much electricity and adrenaline. What are your tips for maybe getting around that? Because that's a, that's a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And, you know, I think that we just have to keep doing it, right? Some riders have uh, an easier time than others, absolutely. Certainly, I've got some kids with some other sport background or dance background that have certainly been performing and um, can have have a little bit better handle on that. And they can, you know, everybody thinks differently on their feet. Some are really quick, some are not so quick, right? <laughs> but those ones need to practice more at home. We do more test riding for them at home. And I certainly do some sports psychology work with them and uh, kind of lead them in that direction. I used to do quite a bit of that myself. And, you know, good visualization really helps a whole lot. So whatever I can do to prep these riders, sometimes we go to the show, if we can get these young horses out to a show location before the show, so that they, horses are experienced there, they know what's going on, right? Um, I used to just take some of my young horses to the show and not show them, right? So they could just hang out and get used to it. And sometimes I've done that in the past with riders who are really nervous, they didn't show, they just went and they had a lesson or a couple lessons there and hung out with everybody. The other thing we've done at home too is dress rehearsals. And so I will get these, some of these riders uh, fully dressed because when you're in your white breeches and you're looking down in a braided mane, it's a heck of a lot different, even yes. at home, right? Yeah. 
right? So they learn how it's, we're all, people say, oh, I don't get nervous. I don't believe them. I mean, I think everybody gets nervous to a certain degree. And I think nerves is, is a good thing, but it's learning how to cope, right? With that. Right, right. It is a totally different thing when you have your outfit on and your horse is ready to go and super shined up. And it's completely different than just another day at the barn when you're in your regular, you know, training clothes. So I think that's a great idea, especially for younger horses or horses that haven't trained before to bring them and just to get them around that. It, it's just so that they get familiar with it so that it's not so jarring to them. Yeah, well, it teaches them, and then the riders don't have the stress of trying to get in the show ring at the same time. Yeah, right? yeah. Maybe on the last day they go in the show after they've been in the show for three days already. That works great, too. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. In fact, um, if I hadn't had a header, go ice ride saddle seat, I would have never made it into the ring. Because <laughs> it's scary, you know? You're kind of like, holy cow. I mean, there's back then there were 30 horses in the ring, so it wasn't like there was one or two, and we always ride alone. So just that right there was it's a little bit nerve-wracking. So I love the idea of you giving them the opportunity to experience it, both the horse and the rider, as a team, and then individually as well. So that's got to cut down at least a little bit. They know what to expect. So they're not as surprised. Right. It's that too. And it's certainly when I have new riders, um, you know, everybody's a little bit different at show than they are at home. So, you know, I certainly have some strategies that I kind of have in my back pocket, but <laughs> you know what everybody needs, you know, quite often people can, under pressure, they can be quite different, right? So uh, quite often, earbuds on, unless, you know, parents there, no parents there, earbuds on, whatever they need is is what we do. Calming, so right. Music certainly helps a lot. I would um, like to spend that, you know, hour before when I had my clothes on, my horse is braided, ready to go, and just walk away. I used to just go and sit in the car, right? Put the yeah. music on and just my own space at the moment right 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 get in that zone where you feel either most competitive or most relaxed whichever works better for you so yeah, yeah. and I you know I went through a period I remember one year was a pan am year and I thought okay because my for me I'm better competing if I'm talking and happy and joking around with everybody then I'm calmer and this year I thought okay that's it I'm gonna crack down I'm gonna you know, focus, I'm going to get in the zone, I'm going to, you know, game face on, and it didn't work as well, because I couldn't, that's not what I'd been doing my whole life, right, and so I'm like, hey, that's not working after a show or two, I have to go back to what's always worked for me, right? Wow, yeah, you have to go for what works for you, and as you said, everyone's different, so what will work for one won't work for another, so they just have to find out what works for you, in terms of trying to bring your adrenaline down and that way, you know, just kind of getting in that zone, in that flow, I call it, divine flow. Tell us a, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the injury that you had uh, that ended your career, because I, I would really like to, I think this will be very beneficial for the listeners to, we've all been hurt, right? Um, some of us more you know, greater injuries than others. Um, but I'd like to know kind of what happened to you and how you handled it. Well, I, one day about, uh, beginning of 2012, 
12, I was sitting on a young sales horse that I had and uh, I hopped on to tool him around before I got coaching the next client. And uh, I put my foot in the stirrup and I thought, oh, this horse is going to blow. You know, there's just that electric feeling, right? And I, as I sat down, uh, he just started broncoing and bolted and then ended up, you know, throwing me kind of headfirst into the wall of the arena. So that point, uh, I broke my back quite badly. Um, I broke five ribs and my shoulder, but my back injury was pretty significant. Uh, lucky for me, you know, I had great people at the barn that came to my rescue right away. And um, I don't know. I, I mean, I got to the hospital. I had rotated my vertebrae 60 degrees and fractured it in the middle of my back. So lucky I, you know, I'm grateful and thankful every day I wasn't left paralyzed because of that. So I had, uh, you know, I had rods and all kinds of stuff in my back to stabilize it for a year and a half and uh, then headed out. And actually my back feels great. My back's good now for sure. But it was uh, lots of physio and, you know, you got to push through the pain, right? Yeah. You can't just couch and feel sorry for yourself so right right that's a big injury so how long was it that you were actually off over a year that you weren't riding well at that point the doctor said to me um because we can't get your vertebrae completely back to where it was we would really rather you not ever get on horse again because the potential for you to possibly be left paralyzed if you fall again and hurt your back is pretty high. So that was, that was a life changing moment for me. I still remember being in the hospital thinking, okay, now what, right now, what am I going to do? And this has been, I mean, all I ever wanted to do was ride, right. And get to the Olympics and do all these wonderful things. And certainly for sure. um, I was a, shortlisted Canadian team rider for a number of years and but but not not being able to do that still makes me quite sad right yeah but that's life right and so you pick yourself up and and I thought okay now maybe this is this is a time for me to I'm at a crossroad maybe I'm supposed to be doing something else with my life I'd always wanted to you know, create a clothing line and I always wanted to do all kinds of other things. but I think in that moment, I, you know, it took me some time. I had to be back teaching. Um, I was probably back in the arena in about seven or eight weeks. Wow. With my walker. Wow. Um, people that wanted to compete. And you know what? I needed to get out of the house and uh, get the business going. And people were depending on me. And, you know, I started off certainly slowly. And, but it, it was good. It was good to get going again. And, yeah, I was exhausted because recovering from something like that takes a lot of energy, but the best thing I could have done was get going. And and at that point I thought, okay, I'm going to get back teaching and then we'll see what happens. And then of course I get back and I start teaching more and more and more and more. And then I don't really have time for other things. So now, now that's why in the last year, year or two, I've said, that's it. You know what I want to do this real estate piece for me. This has always been a real big interest for me. So I'm going to, I'm just going to figure out how to balance it all. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. And I really tip my hat to you because um, the I've broken, uh, I think it was six ribs. And that was in itself, the most painful thing I've ever been through. So breaking my I, I have a bad back because 
of a similar type of situation um, where I got dumped on a from a horse that wasn't even mine. Um, and he w- and he went bananas too, and I couldn't get up, but it, it didn't break my back. So obviously you've really come full circle. But what I'm thinking is what you said is so important is like one door closes, another door opens, right? Absolutely. And I also feel like this experience gives you such a different and profound vantage point that you can offer to your students. Yes. So how, how does that translate and do you ever talk about it or how, how does that come out and help you with your clients today? Because I would think it's, it does in a myriad of ways. Well, I, I was always very safety conscious, right? Like you just have to be with animals and with clients. And so that's always in the back of my, my mind, even more highlighted or stronger than it was in the past. Um, certainly everybody knows and knows that I'm not riding. Um, I think it, I think, I think it's made me a better coach. I mean, I had to become a better coach because I couldn't just get on and fix people's horses for them. Right. Yes. Um, so, you know, at times I, you, certainly for the first few months after you just like, oh, I just want to get on and fix that. Um, but then you just have to figure out how to help them better, do it better. Right. Um, right. I have, you know, I've got such great clients that are so understanding and such a big, such a big group. Like I've taught anywhere. I have a six-year-old right now or five-year-old right now. And I've taught right up to kind of seventies, 72 and yes. competitive, not competitive, some Western, some adventures, some jumpers, like any, anybody who wants to learn, I'm happy to teach them. Right. That's what motivates me. It's when people have, when they start to figure pieces out and they have those aha moments, we call them, right. Which yes. is a common term nowadays. Yes. That's what lights me up. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I love it that this is a sport that you can you know, you can do well into your seventies. There's also other options, right? Because driving is, I always poo-pooed it, but that's a super fun thing to do. I mean, I, I drove my horse and I was like, this is amazing. I mean, it's a lot of work and it's very competitive. And so there's a lot of things that you can do if you're not on the back of the horse. Um, and there's a lot, you know, if you're not a jumper, there's obviously dressage or just groundwork. And I, I believe that they are just such healing animals. I feel the same way. I am not the person that I was after my injury. I showed quite a bit. And now I just, it's for fun, right? I'm, I'm happy every day that I go and that's my Zen place. Do you have a lot of clients and that feel like that as well? That maybe it's not so serious, but you know, it's, it's so healing to be there, right? It's amazing. Absolutely. I have, you know, my parents always said to me, and I still remember this to this day, is when you're not having fun and enjoying it, stop doing it. Get out. Yeah. Because you don't want to be, you know, getting a little crispy around the edges about sport. You know, I think for me, I've um, it's certainly been a busy life and some with some good challenges, but I've tried the best I can to maintain a balance with a few other things as well, right? I think that riders, um, you know, only a very small percentage makes it to the top, right? And we love what we do. But I think in the end, you don't want to get there and go, wow, I've missed out on so many other things in my life. And, mm-hmm. and, and taking trips or taking courses or, you know, 
having going out for dinner with a friend. I mean, I didn't do that for 20 years, those kind of things, because I was too busy raising my daughter and running the barn and running after clients and teaching across the country. It was, it's, I loved it, but it was busy. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you were so dedicated. So you, you just kept on going. You. So, so tell us right now what you've created and how things have changed for you because you, you've got quite a bit going on in a good way. <laughs> I do. Um, so I will continue to coach. I love it. I, that, that will never stop for me. Um, you know, I like love finding new horses for clients. That's a passion for me and um, staying connected to that horse network. Yeah. Um, Certainly the reno company will continue on a small scale. I'm really happy when I have paint chips in my hand. Yes. Yes. Uh, see where the real estate goes. You know, I, I hopefully will get into doing more equestrian uh, facilities and um, hopefully helping some horse people find some new places. So. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest need that the horse market needs right now in terms of riders and owners? Oh boy, that's a whole nother hour, I think, Julie. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm trying to figure it out because there's a, there's a couple that I can think of, but I was just interested to know from your, because you, you know, you've got so much experience now and I feel like you've got your finger on the pulse of things. You know, I'll, I'll, what am I trying to say? For me, honestly, it's um, really good education and starting people off properly. Um, you know, I'm not going to criticize other people's methods, right? But I just, I, I just want people to be safe and have fun and learn on the right type of quality horse for them at the moment, no matter what they want to do. Um, and again, it's if we can put people on more experienced horses, definitely better than putting them on young horses because it just people tend to, to do that a lot, but it just slows the process down, right? It's very slow. It's always playing catch up. The horse gets so far and then we got to bring the rider up and then the horse gets so far and we got to bring the rider up. So um, I think, you know, being out West, when I moved out here, oh gosh, in 2010, it was quite a small, small horse dressage community. And it's grown quite a lot. Um, in that amount of time actually it's quite shocking how many more riders we have and a lot of um, pony club kids and a lot of people who like to just get out to schooling shows they don't want to be super competitive they don't want to spend a ton of money on a weekend at a national show and I think that's really good it's encouraging them um, and trying to get them as much education and um, it, you know in front of good good trainers and stuff I think it's really key yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I moved from Connecticut to the South, South Carolina. Um, and it's different here in terms of safety. So because I have a back injury, I always uh, have the inflatable vest. I always wear that. Plus I'm of a certain age, right? So when you're twenties, you fall down and you bounce back up usually, and not so much after 40. Um, so, and I always have worn a helmet because my husband said, you know, we don't, you know, let's, if you're going to ride, just do it as safely as you can. Right. So I'm not familiar with or comfortable with people who just jump on a horse. I understand that they want that experience and maybe that's what they're used to. So I guess what I'm asking you is how can you have that conversation in a really gentle and um, powerful 
way to maybe nudge someone to wear protective gear, at least a helmet? Uh, they have to. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any nudging for me. It's like, yeah. you're wrong. Um, too many things. You know, we, I'm, I'm 53. Okay. So when I grew up, right, there was no bike helmets. There was no ski helmets. There me was, too. <laughs> and I'll tell you, honestly, um, I went off to Europe, oh gosh, 20 years ago. And I had a young horse that was really ended up having some neurological issues, but it was crazy. And I was a young mom and I'm like helmet on and I'm laughing because the helmet I took with me to Europe didn't even have a harness on it. Right. It was like the old hunt cap style, right? That's what we were wearing. Wow. And, and actually they kind of laughed at me like, Oh, you know, are you afraid? Why, why are you putting your helmet on? And so certainly as we all know, helmets and wearing helmets have changed a lot in the last kind of 10, 15 years. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you if I didn't have my helmet on that day, uh, I probably wouldn't be here. Right. Because it was pretty bad that fall. I had, I went right in, into the wall with my head. So, um, oh. you no, know, you know what people, I certainly have a policy. Uh, I don't have anybody that doesn't ride with a helmet on and, I guess my point now, what if I see something that she, they're not a client of mine or I see something at a barn or a show or wherever I am, I will actually, I feel the need to say to them, I just need to tell you, I think you shouldn't be doing that or this, I'm uncomfortable with it because they can do whatever they want, but at least then I feel I've said my piece and mm-hmm. help, you know, some way that somebody's doing something I don't think it's correct, then at least I can go on and sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the people that I was talking about. Maybe somebody that you don't know very well, or you don't see all the time, but it's just such a glaring thing. And as a matter of fact, this came up just yesterday when I was at the barn, because here we've had thunderstorms almost every single day this week and, you know, really lightning and thunder. And there were two young girls at the barn they were out and the, the owner was telling me, you know, they're out and they don't have any helmets on or anything. And they're out, you know, tooling around out there. So they're not even on the premises and they're not, they're on the road. Um, I don't think they have any gear on that is protective or fluorescent or anything. And she was concerned and I, I just kind of thought about it. And I was thinking, you know what, that scares the heck out of me. Um, I know they're, you know, young, but, you know, I think we need to have these conversations it's important and it can save your life, literally. Save your life. Um, I don't, I'm not sure about the States, but as far as I know here, and certainly with the insurance, all of our boarding facilities, you know, if you're under 18, you have to be going home. Mm-hmm. I, think at, I think at that point it's, it's educating the parents and maybe the, the barn just needs to have a policy. In fact, mm-hmm. it says, you know what, you don't get to ride here unless you're wearing a helmet. Yeah, because every barn that I've ever been at, that is the policy. It's, it's, you, you need to, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I don't care if you're getting out for five seconds. In fact, that's when most things happen is that time that you feel comfortable and, you know, you don't, you're not even schooling. I wasn't even schooling. I was actually just going to go back to the barn. I was done for the day. So you just never know, right? Well, we don't get to go to a horse show without a helmet and a harness on. 
Yeah. So why would why would you not do that at home, right? Yeah. And that happened too, right? In the past when I wasn't wearing a helmet, and uh, yeah, little things happen, right? In a in a blink of an eye, you know, yeah. animal falling through the grass at you or something like you just don't know what can happen. It's just not worth it. It's not. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah, it's not worth it. Exactly. You know, you also mentioned something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is I am working on trying to change the culture of the community, no matter the discipline, into one that's more supportive. Um, just what you just said about, you know, are, you know, are you afraid or you, you get things like, do you think you can't handle that animal? Or, you know, there's so many uh, remarks that are said you know, by others. Um, and it's been a culture for a long time, but I think in 2019, there are a lot of us that are saying, you know what, let's support each other instead of tearing ourselves down, you know, others down. And do you have any thoughts on that? And, and in terms of how we could support each other a little bit more? You know, it's a tough one because it shouldn't be a tough one because you know, I think it, there's been moments in my life when I've been with a group of riders and everything is so supportive and we're all helping each other. And we, we, you know, we come out of that going, let's just carry this on. And then slowly it, it falls away again. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we need to, I'm not sure exactly in your area, but you know, there's certainly, I think the kids are usually looking up to the role models in the sport. And I think, professional riders, the majority of them are also wearing helmets at home all the time or they should be. I hope they are. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's like anything in life. It's standing up for what you believe in and speaking up when you, when you feel the need, but in a positive kind way. Mm. Yes. Negative kids aren't listening to that. I mean, people aren't listening. Adults can at the end of the day do what they choose to do, but kids need to be supported and especially if they're coming from families that aren't horsey and don't understand right and yes maybe, you know getting the word out to them that this is this is the policy this is what needs to happen and um it needs to be the negative of you're not wearing a helmet why, why are you being stupid right we'll right. just switch that around somehow and i think we'll just, it's like anything that comes up in life in society it takes a little while to to come around right but yeah yeah persevering with that just have to keep on it keep on it how do you balance being a mom and being <laughs> a coach and being an entrepreneur how do you balance all of this um lots of lists <laughs> in the car <laughs> drive through coffee uh, you know I don't know. I just do. And, and I've never been a kind of a sit on the couch kind of girl. Although now I'm kind of taking some more time to do that and enjoy that and read the occasional book. Yeah. You know, it's just finding the balance and it's making a priority list. Like, you know what, quite often I have 30 things to do in a day and I might get 12 of them done and through the day it gets juggled around and switched around. But, um, you just do it. I know yeah. driven. I'm passionate about what I do and I love, I love my life and I love flying around and helping people and doing anything I can. Yeah. The odd times stuff falls through the cracks. <laughs> yeah. 
then, you know, it's about being honest saying, hey, you know what, I couldn't get that done today, but I promise it's top of my priority list for tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. I was making a list and I have so much, you know, but you just have to prioritize it and take a deep breath, like you said, and, you know, you'll get through one at a time and just do as many as you can because tomorrow there's going to be just as many to do. So um, well, boundaries are important, though. I guess I, I, I wanted to know maybe... How do you create, do you create boundaries for yourself and say, when you're looking at your day, do you think, okay, I'm going to spend, you know, three hours coaching and then three hours doing, you know, some other type of work, paperwork, social media, whatever it may be, or calling clients, um, and then working out and then having time with your family as well. Right. So I think the big change for me in the last few years has been, um, trying to make more time to do stuff for me uh, because it's like having horses your own horses always are the ones to get ridden last right yeah. to make them a priority that they get done first in the day it's the same thing in life like you know I think a lot of riders and coaches are, are juggling a million things and you're like, oh, I can't even get to get my hair cut. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> you have to put it on the schedule. You have to make the appointment. If not, it just always gets pushed to the back, right? Yeah. It's quite amazing how how many hours you just spend in the office doing some paperwork, right? Getting caught up on all that, running the house, and you know what? I love to garden. I love to walk the dogs, and I, you know what? I made that a priority. Okay, if I can't get it's not going to happen at the end of the day and I'm getting up at 6.30 in the morning and doing it then or 7 o'clock in the morning after I hit snooze twice. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that um, I've been learning that so many of us, especially coaches, put everyone else first. Absolutely. And that's a problem because then your tank runs low and you don't have enough to give. So the best way to be productive and successful and help all the people that you'd like to and make the impact that you want to make is to really take care of yourself as well, which for me means going to the gym and drinking the water and trying to eat right and all that good stuff. But really even sometimes it's hard carving out an hour to go to the gym because I could sit here all day on my computer. And then before you know it, it's six o'clock and I started at, you know, eight in the morning and I didn't even take a lunch. So I do believe that having that balance is important and having those boundaries in place where you say, you know what, I have to shut this down and I need to go do something different right now. I need to go get, take a walk in nature, whatever the case may be. I think for me too, I was, um, the coach that never said no to anybody. Right. And yes. so, yeah, you want me to come at six today and then 10 o'clock that, well, not 10 o'clock at night, but you know, eight 30 back. And I, quite often I'm running back and forth to the barn several times a day. Right. Because I want to, I want to help people. And you know what? There's sometimes don't allow kids are in university or school or people are working and it, it, it works out. But I think, um, certainly as you get busier too, I have to say, I just can't do that that day. Or this is, I can't be there on Wednesday morning or I can't because before then then you start to get a little bit resentful because you get tired right and yeah more time in the car than I could be you know being at the gym or doing things that I love to do so yeah yeah absolutely I'm the same person we're like the same person <laughs> <laughs> I never said no and I would always you know I'll put my stuff aside for you because I want to help you and that's just the nature of what we're doing we want to help each other we want to help our clients and we want to help 
the world. We want, and we want to help the horses too, right? It's always comes back to the horses. We want to help help the clients have that relationship with the horse. So a lot of times that just, you know, if you need to be there at eight o'clock at night, that's it, what it is. But I guess what I'm learning is, and what you're saying too, is that maybe the next night, no, you're going to knock off at four and spend the next couple hours doing something fun or for yourself or for your family, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And if I can, absolutely. And if I can do my stuff earlier in the day, like before noon, that's better for me, I found, because if not, the day just gets away on me quite often. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your goals? I mean, you've got so much going on right now, professionally, which is amazing. So what are some of your goals for the next couple of years? Um, hmm. You know, I love that phrase. If your goals and dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough, right? Yep. Yep. Um, I've always wanted to write some books, maybe some training manuals. I'm gonna. I'm putting that aside and think I'm gonna try and get some, make some time for that. Uh, I would like to. I wanted to flip houses when I was 20, but didn't have the time or money to do that. So I'm hoping that this, with the Reno and the real estate, I can do hopefully one or two of those and and give that a go. Uh, I would love to design and build my own house. That's on my agenda for the next couple years, for sure. Nice. Uh, yeah, more traveling I'd like to get done. So, yeah, oh, there's lots. There's lots. There's lots, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's always lots. <laughs> and you know what? Have you ever taken a riding vacation, by the way? I'm just curious because I've always learned to do that. Wouldn't it be fun? I never wanted to do that. Oh, really? Too dangerous? No, well, no, even when, no, for me, when I was riding all day long for, for oh. you know, the last thing I want to do is that I want to lie on the beach with a book and not look at a horse. In fact, we were away somewhere. My daughter, I'll, I'll be looking at, you know, some guy in the sand trying to, on a Western horse, trying to spin it or pirouette it. And I can just see my daughter going, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't go over there because I'm like, oh, I can make this better for you. Yeah. 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 No, I don't blame you. I mean, a lot of times I just want to be on the beach with a book too, and I don't want to do anything else. So you need to have that private time, whatever it is. But um, I look at those, you know, I thought maybe that'd be fun to go to England or Ireland and just ride. But then sometimes I think, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, you got to be careful. So it's just a priority, whatever works for you. Absolutely. I've had quite a few clients over the years do that to different countries and they've all loved them. Really? Yeah. Wow and Ireland and I can't think of the other places but yeah they, they've had great times even Mexico I had a girl that was um uh, playing polo you know an amateur polo player and she and her friends all went off to Mexico and went to this polo camp and they had a great time yeah. wow that sounds cool yeah. wow yeah because if you can mix that with anything spiritual or with nature that makes it all the more fun so. and, and one yeah. <laughs> <And> nature. <laughs> it's a relaxing environment, Jillian. Relaxing. <laughs> well, I love talking with you. I am going to put up all the links so that people can find you. Where can they find you on the internet? And uh, I've got your Facebook as well, but go ahead and give them, tell them where you are. Well, I am Jillian Sutherland Facebook. I'm GS Equestrian is my um, company and I'm on Instagram gsquestrian1 uh, and then I have a website it's jillian 
Awesome. I can't thank you enough for being here. I love chatting with you. And thank you for being so open and honest about your injury. I really appreciate that. And I know that a lot of listeners can, that will resonate with them. So thank you so much for being here. I love chatting with you and I'm looking forward to all the cool stuff that you're doing this year. Oh, thanks so much, Julie. Yay. I really enjoyed chatting with you too. And yeah, uh, yeah we'll be in touch for sure. Um, yay. So everyone, I will put up all the links for you to reach Jillian um, at her website and her Facebook and her Instagram and um, she's also on LinkedIn as well. So I'll have all that listed for you below. So you can click on the links and we will also have the audio version of this on Podbean and iTunes and Spotify. So you can find this everywhere. Thanks again for being here, Jillian. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. You too. Thanks. Have a good one.